Okay. So we finished up talking about T cell receptors. Two more things before a test, right? We got a test on Monday. Everybody knows test on Monday. People in lab, go to the lab again like we did last time so we can have a little more room. All right. The other thing is today's Wednesday the 26th. I said that topic presentations were due by Wednesday, November, whatever a week from today is, right? So you got to get them to me or else get the big goose egg. All right. So let's talk. Let's continue talking about basically the T cell receptor and more importantly how that T cell receptor is going to be established in lymphocytes. So progenitor T cells are going to leave the bone marrow. Right? We've talked about this before about how mature cells leave the bone marrow. When that B cell leaves the bone marrow it's basically a mature cell that's going to take up well we kind of said that it wasn't such a mature, a mature cell, right? Because it was going to take up residency. It was going to be exposed to antigen. And then right, somatic hypermutation could take place. So it's really not, it still has a little bit of differentiation to go when that B cell gets out into the periphery. But absolutely, T cells, when they leave the thymus, they head towards, oh, sorry, when they leave the bone marrow, they have one more stop before they make it to the periphery. Right? They're heading to the thymus. And it's inside the thymus that more of their differentiation is going to be able to take place. So they leave the bone marrow. They migrate to the thymus in about right, the eighth or ninth week of gestation in humans, or about 11 days in the mouse. So by now, right, this is the first trimester or so, by this time, the circulatory system is being formed rather nicely. The skeletal system is starting to shape up. So we do have a bone marrow. So all, remember we talked about hematopoiesis, those blood islands that get formed, which are basically just multiplying uh, hematopoietic cells, get caught up in the spleen, they get caught up in the liver. They eventually make their way to the bone marrow. Right? And then hematopoiesis takes place inside the bone marrow. So we're at that stage of time here, and we're still at that stage of time in that those cells are leaving the bone marrow, and that now that the circulatory system is up and running, the lymphoid system is up and running as well. So they make their way into the thymus, and here differentiation of the T cell is going to be correlated with rearrangement of the T cell receptor genes, right, and expression of various cell surface markers or some of those cell surface proteins we've talked about, like CD4 or CD8. Because that immature T cell, right, because now it's still an immature T cell, has got to be switched on into a CD4 positive cell or a CD8 positive cell. So in mice, right, all these studies were done in mice, and these studies, they're pretty hard. Right? We talked a little bit about tissue culture, right, where we're going to be able to take cells out of the body, grow them in plastic inside an incubator, probably on a monolayer on plastic, or as just dividing cells in some sort of liquid media. And we're going to go, right, from one cell to two cell to four to eight to 16. It's a geometric progression. But now, what I'm suggesting is we're going to ramp that up even more. Now instead of doing just tissue culture on individual cells, the next step is to do what's called an organ culture. 
okay? Where we're going to be able to remove an organ, and in this case we're going to remove the thymus, or we're going to, right, we could remove the liver, we could remove the kidney, and we're going to try to grow that entire organ in culture. So that means we've got to keep the thymus warm, we have to supply the thymus with nutrients, we have to get rid of any sort of excretory products, right, any sort of waste products. So the, so the amount of time and the amount of expertise and the amount of cost in going from a tissue culture to an organ culture is enormous. So a lot of these studies took a very long time to, to sort of see to fruition because A, not a lot of people do them, because you probably need a pretty good surgeon on your team, right? Because that's basically what we're talking about. We're talking about transplanting a kidney or a thymus, right, from the animal into plastic. Right? So you have to make sure that technically you're doing the right thing when you make your sutures, when you, right, you're going to connect lines that are going to deliver warm saline or deliver warm nutrients. You've got to make sure that all those lines are correctly done. So that takes a lot of expertise. And then to be able to take those studies from the organ itself and turn them into experiments that takes even more sort of expertise so you know these studies were hard to do but they were done and that's basically what we're going to be talking about now so we're going to the mouse and we're going to see those cells that are leaving the bone marrow and those cells that are on their way to the thymus right they're all expressing a certain molecule on their cell surface so they're called thymocytes, right? Remember, we have, right, we've talked about this before as well, we have these cells that are leaving the bone marrow and they look like lymphocytes. They have that large nucleus to cytoplasm ratio, right? We can't tell if they're T cells or if they're B cells, but we do know that they're not quite T cells in the fact that they're not either CD4 or CD8 cells. So we need a way to differentiate those cells, right? We need a way to differentiate those cells that are leaving the bone marrow, right, and entering the thymus. And then eventually those cells are going to leave the thymus as cytotoxic T cells or helper T cells. Right? So these are easy to sort of figure out. From a histological point of view, right, this one, this one, and this one are probably all going to look exactly the same, right? Large cell, large nucleus, not a lot of cytoplasm. This one we know is going to have CD8 on its surface. This one we know is going to have CD4, so there's CD4 positive, CD8 positive. We need a way to differentiate this cell as we're describing these cells in the literature or through scientific communication. Right? So all of these cells are going to express the antigen Thi1. Right, so they're all Thi1 positive. Thi1 is also, right, it's in the CD nomenclature, it's CD90. So these cells, these thymocytes, right, with an unknown signal, leave the bone marrow, make their way to the thymus. They all express Thi1, so they're CD90 positive, but they don't have any CD4 or CD8 on the cell surface. So really, you can't tell the difference between, if you looked at them, you couldn't tell the difference between a B lymphocyte, a T lymphocyte, a cytotoxic T cell, a helper T cell. If you looked at them based on the markers, all you can see is that they're going to be Thi1 positive. Right? So these are called double negative cells. So they're CD4 negative and CD8 negative, but they all have Thi1. By day 16, 
right? A couple of days later, because if we're talking about leaving them, leaving after 11 days, they're all now double positive. They all express CD4, they all express CD8, but it's still at this time, their T cell receptors haven't undergone a rearrangement, nor do they have CD3 on the cell surface. Remember, we talked about the T cell receptor. We said that the T cell receptor sits on the cell surface and it's surrounded by that CD3 protein complex, right? Either those zeta-zeta chains or all those different sort of makeup of both those different chains. So they're double positive now. At least CD4 and CD8 has appeared. They're still rearranging their T cell receptors. And then a couple of days after that, they've rearranged the T cell receptor. So the T cell receptor and CD3 have appeared on the cell surface. Right? But this is all inside the thymus, all of this is taking place. Okay. So, right, we can sort of look at a, a road map here. Right? Again, remember from our hematopoiesis lecture that well, this is sort of pretty fluid out here, right? That the T cell could eventually turn back into a macrophage or a dendritic cell. So we're really not talking about this part, right? Even though this can happen, we're still talking about, right, this sort of linear line that leads to this T cell, and this T cell is going to leave the bone marrow as a thymocyte, okay? So here's the hematopoietic stem cell. Here's that common lymphoid precursor. Right, leaves the bone marrow, migrates into, right, as we're differentiating here, into the blood, T-cell uh, precursor. We haven't undergone any sort of rearrangement, right? We don't have the DJ to making the, the beta chain. We don't have the alpha chain being rearranged. This is RAG expression is going to be turned on, right? We're going from this double negative to this double positive cell, right? Inside the bone marrow. So everything we talked about the other day in terms of RAG genes being turned on and taking the V's and the D's and the J's and making the alpha chain, making the beta chain is going to be able to take place. Eventually, we're going to turn into either a CD8 positive cell or a CD4 positive cell, the T helper cell or a cytotoxic cell. Then we're leaving the thymus right because now we're differentiated and now we're going to make our way outside so if we're looking at surface surface markers right we have the whole bunch of these different markers that we can see that they're expressing on the cell surface cd3 eventually gets turned on once the t cell receptor the alpha chain and the beta chain rearrange then we can see the alpha chain or the beta chain and in those double positive cells cd4 cd8 we can see either cd well we can see cd4 and cd8 on the cell surface so all these different things are taking place either inside the bone marrow or inside the thymus. Right? So, what do we know about the thymus? What we know about the thymus is that when we're born and when we're in utero, the thymus is a pretty big organ. Right? Sits up here in your pleural cavity. Not, probably not as big as your lungs, but it's definitely as big as your heart. It's pretty big. T-cells are going to make their way there, right? It's critical for the development of T-cells. Because we have an animal model. It's called the nude mouse. And it's nude because it doesn't have any hair. It's a sort of scrawny-looking, wacky-looking animal, okay? Nude mouse. If you work or if you own an animal husbandry laboratory, right, you always tell your technicians who are in charge of cleaning the bedding, or feeding your animals, right, or making sure the temperature is the right way, or mating the animals, you always tell them 
that when they go into the into do their duties and they see a wacky looking mouse in the cage that just got that just been born, save it. Because that sort of random mutation that you're looking at in that pup that's just been born could be really useful for science. <laughs> what am I crazy? It could be worth a lot of money. <laughs> right? Because now we have a mutation that if it turns out to be something cool, nobody else on the planet has, and we can charge a lot of money, right, for that animal. So this is what happened one day. Somebody goes in, and they see this thing, this hideous beast, right? It's one of the pups. Clearly it didn't look like that, right, because this is sort of full grown. But, you know, hopefully you've all seen sort of mouse pups, right? They, they, they do have hair, you know, and they, they, don't, they wouldn't look like this. So this technician saves this animal. They bring it into its own special room, right, because it's good for some, no, forget it. Well, we got to save it because we don't want it to die because it could be worth a lot of money. So then they take this animal, they start investigating this animal, right? Clearly they're doing other things to this animal, right? A lot of you probably just took genetics, you know how to back cross, right? And, right, you mate, the, you mate this mouse with its mother and remate it and, right, do everything until you sort of get a pure, you get a pure animal itself. Right, so that's we're doing that while we're while we're keeping this pup alive and well, right? So we need to be able to make sort of a pure line of this animal. And what we come to find out is that this animal is very susceptible to right to, to diseases. Because as we do our investigations, we're finding that this nude mouse doesn't have any T cells. We're finding it that this nude mouse doesn't have a thymus. Doesn't have a thymus, doesn't have T cells, there's no cell-mediated immunity at all. Macrophages are working just fine, B cells are working just fine, complement is working just fine. Everything we've talked about before is working just fine. Okay? The problem is, A, it's probably cold because it has no hair, but B, it doesn't have a thymus. That's the genetic mutation that just sort of randomly appeared here. All right? And the mutation is in the, in the, is in the FOXN1 gene. It's a transcription factor. And this transcription factor is important during development, right? So that those uh, are they endodermal cells, anything, as the cells are, are making their way through, right? The epithelial cells are affected. And the thymus is going to be, right later, turn, the, the, the differentiation of these epithelial cells will result in the formation of the thymus. But early on in development, right, those epithelial cells are also what are going to eventually make up the skin. So that, fox, that, that transcription factor is also involved with making hair. Right? So that's why this animal you know, you would think, oh, what does hair have to do with the thymus? Well, really nothing. It's just the mutation is that far back during development. Right? So it doesn't have a thymus. So some people think that the thymus, right, has a role in the immune system because there are studies to show that thymus and gill tissue, right, are similar. 
So if you think about a gill, right, what a gill is used for, right, it's used for, it's, well, clearly it's used for breathing, but it's also used for straining bacteria and straining sort of pathogens from the fish immune system. So that's why people feel that the thymus is probably derived from gills that first were, you know, shown during fish. So, no cell-mediated immunity. You look in the blood, there's no T-cells. You look even further, there's no thymus. So that tells you that the thymus is critically important for T-cells. We also have the same sort of syndrome in humans. It's called, it's called the Georgia syndrome. And these patients, these infants, are born without a thymus. So again, like we talked about right during chronic granulomatous disease, parents will bring their infant child back to the doctor. Doctor, my, my child's always getting sick. Right? All the other kids are out playing and they get, you know, they occasionally get cold, but my child is sick all the time. So you do some investigation, right? You find that the child has no thymus. Okay? So again, right, you need to be able to take care of the child. So if it's a mouse, yeah, we don't care so much, right? We keep it, we try to keep it in a germ-free environment. We ship it in a germ-free environment. But for a kid, right? Clearly, we could keep that kid alive if you put that kid into a germ-free environment, but what kind of life would that child have? So again, right, the treatment here is to try to graft some fetal thymus from a different individual. Okay? Crazy thing about the thymus is that my thymus, oh sorry, our thymus, right, doesn't matter that I'm a, a wee bit older than you guys, but by the time you're 14, or 15 or 16 or even 12 in some instances, your thymus starts to get smaller and smaller and smaller so that the, by the time you're our age, and I will include it in our age, right, your thymus is a shadow of its former self. So the big question here is, if the thymus is so important in early development and all the T cells leave the bone marrow and go flying towards the thymus to become T cells, where are my T-cells Where are you, sorry, where are your T-cells going, right? Because they're pouring, they're still pouring out of your bone marrow, but there's really no thymus for them to go to. So there's got to be, so the mechanisms we're going to be talking about in the next, right, uh, half an hour or so have to be taking place someplace, and a lot of investigation have, has gone into and is continuing to go into how, does, how do these T-cells that leave the bone marrow learn to be T-cells if they don't have a thymus to go to? So somewhere in the periphery, these same mechanisms have to be taking place. Right? So I'll sort of give you that, that punchline before we even start. Right? But somewhere it has to be taking place. The other thing about the thymus is, is a whole bunch of different hormones in the thymus that absolutely have nothing to do with anything except T-cells. We have a bunch of thymopoietins, thymopoietin 1 and thymopoietin 2, and these induce early T-cell markers, so they stimulate the T-cell somehow. There's a whole bunch of thymocins, there are about 30 of them. They increase the number, they seem to be growth factors for immature T-cells, right, so they keep T-cells alive. Thymulin is another hormone that increases T-cell markers on immature cells. There's a whole bunch of different biotechnology companies and their entire business plan is to clone these molecules right, and use them as, a thera as therapeutic agents. If you're undergoing chemotherapy or radiation therapy and, you're, 
and your bone marrow is being destroyed and your lymphocytes are being destroyed, right? You could use all these or a series of these different thymocins again as right, therapy to bring your T cells back in a, in a more quick sort of uh, uh, number so that you can repopulate your T cells that much faster after chemotherapy or radiation therapy. Okay? So, we know that the thymus right, is there. We also know that the thymus has a very high degree of cell division, right? We saw that picture before, right? We're rearranging T cell receptors. The, the T cells are going from, from immature uh, lymphocytes from these thymocytes, right, into mature T cells. So we have a real high degree of cell division taking place. So it's kind of easy for us to, to see how many cells are entering the thymus. Right? All we got to really do is take a blood sample and see how many of those things that we can identify as lymphocytes histologically have Thy1 on the cell surface. Right? So we got a pretty good handle on the number of cells that could be entering, right? because we have a handle of how many cells are in transition from the bone marrow to the thymus right? by looking at the blood and, and looking at those cells themselves. Using those, those organ cultures, Right? And we can use a whole bunch of different markers. We can see that right, there are a whole bunch of cells being created by cell division in there. Right? So those immature thymocytes are dividing, they're rearranging their T cell receptors, they're all dividing. So we can get a pretty good handle on the number of cells that are created by cell division inside, right? So we know what's going on inside. And Right? We got a pretty good idea of the number of cells, right? In, in general, the number of cells that are leaving. We can compare the number of thymocytes to the number of mature cells. We can take those organ cultures and we can separate out T cells in those organ cultures themselves, right? We can tease out the T cells. We can isolate the T cells. So we have a pretty good idea of the number of cells that are leaving. So we got a we got a real good feeling for what's taking place inside the thymus itself. What we really have to come up with is, why is everybody dying in the thymus? So that commercials for the Roach Motel? The thymus is like the Roach Motel, right? The, thymuses, the thymocytes check in, but they don't check out. Right? Almost every single cell that is entering the thymus doesn't come out the other side. Right? For 100 cells that go in, maybe one to five cells come out. There are a lot of cells dying. We know what's coming in. We know what's being created. We know how many are leaving. 100 come in, one go out. So the thymus is like some sort of death machine inside the body. Right? The bone marrow is there, doing its job. It's making, right, making thymocytes, pouring thymocytes out. Thymocytes head to the, to, the, to, the, to the thymus. They're just cut down. So that only a very, very small percentage of those T cells that enter come in. I mean, come out. Right? So why is there so much cell division? Why is there so much going on? inside the thymus, basically to no avail. Right? Basically everything is dying inside the thymus. What's taken place is, right, T cells that fail to rearrange their T cell receptor, right, we've talked about that before when we talked about B cells, if they don't undergo a productive rearrangement, right, those B cells are going to be eliminated. Same thing that's going to take place here, 
those T cells that fail to rearrange their T cell receptors properly, right, they'll be dead, but that shouldn't really take up this much sort of killing takes place. There is some sort of selection that's taking place inside the thymus. Basically, what's taking place is we're establishing the T cell repertoire. The T cells are learning, they're not being learned, right? They're going to T cell school. Right? And they are learning to be your lymphocytes, your T cells. Probably the same thing is happening for B cells. We'll talk about this when we talk about B cells. But absolutely, they're learning to be your T cells. They're going to be exposed to your MHC molecules. And any one of these T cells that don't respond appropriately to your MHC molecules, your individual MA, right, your haplotype, everything we talked about there before, that aren't responding appropriately, and by responding appropriately, I mean leaving your MHC molecules alone, we're killing them. Because they're that powerful. They have that much danger if they make their way out of the thymus. Right? If you just have one T cell that is going to respond inappropriately to your MHC molecules, that T cell is going to be all right, a killer inside your body. And that's what the thymus is doing. It's teaching all those sort of Right, those new recruits that are pouring out of the bone marrow, what it means to be your T cells. Right? What rules that T cell has to follow in your body based on your MHC molecules. Right? That's what that whole thing about self-MHC restriction has to do with. If your T cell recognizes an MHC molecule that's not yours, it's going to try to kill it. Now, Clearly, that T cell, and I'm not going to give human-like characteristics to that T cell, but that T cell doesn't know, right, so how is it supposed to know? But it doesn't know that you need that kidney to live. It doesn't know that you need that heart to live. All it knows is, here's an invader. It's something that I don't recognize. My schooling taught me that if I see something that's not identified, that, right, that doesn't have the secret handshake, I should kill it. Right? So as a transplant, you know, part of the transplant team, that's your requirement, right, is to try to stop the patient's T cells from destroying the graft, right? The recipient's T cells from destroying that graft. So, how we're being educated, right? What's taking place inside? So, based on diversity estimates, right, lymphocytes, both T cells and B cells, right, should be able to recognize anything, even self. So I've been holding on to this for what? How long have we been meeting? A month and a half? I've been holding on to this for about a month or so. Here's the, here's the big lie. When I said something about right, these epitopes that have to be on here so that a B cell is able to recognize it or a T cell are able to recognize those epitopes, did I ever say, we'll go to Camtasia? I never said anything about 
foreign epitopes. I never said anything about non-self epitopes. All I said was epitopes. What is the difference between right, a human epitope that's glycine, glycine, right, and let's say a bacterial epitope that's glycine, glycine, C, and G. What's the difference? Nothing. No difference. Right? Amino acids are amino acids. Right? If we know anything about life on the planet, right? I haven't kept up with my five kingdoms and you know who came first, and, but I'm pretty sure that like archaebacteria, right? people think archaebacteria are the first sort of inhabitants on the planet. Even before that, if you go to meteorites and you can find amino acids in, in meteorites, there's really no difference in our lysine and their lysine. And by their, I mean prokaryotic lysine. There's really no difference in my glycine and their glycine or your phenylalanine and their phenylalanine. Yeah, there are, there are probably certain ones that are a little bit different in bacteria and we can key in on those, but in general, my amino acids are no much different than their amino acids. So any of these random rearrangements, any of these random epitopes, right, these three or four or five amino acids that we've been talking about, those 10 to the 11th or 10 to the 9th B cells, right, that potential repertoire of lymphocyte, antigen receptors on the surface of the B cell that we have capable of recognizing, right? I said it could be capable of recognizing 10 to the 9th different epitopes. Some of those epitopes have to be on my proteins and your proteins. Some of those epitopes have to be presented to T cells from viruses or from bacteria. And those epitopes that are being presented to those 10 to the 9th potential repertoires of antibody molecules, to those 10 to the 11th potential repertoires of T cell receptors, right? I gotta have, I gotta have millions and millions of these epitopes on my protein someplace in my body. Why aren't I a pile of goo right now? Because my immune system has destroyed me based on these epitopes. We talked about this, right? The, the amount of diversity that we talked about, 10 to the 9th, 10 to the 11th different epitopes, 10 to the, all those different things that can be generated that we have to be able to recognize. I never said a bacterial epitope. I never said a fungal epitope. All I describe it is, right, three to four, maybe five amino acids. This is how it's taken place. They should be able to recognize anything, even my epitopes, or your, our, huh? Right? We're all together. Even our epitopes. But they don't, in general. We'll talk about autoimmune diseases, so yes, that's a malfunction of the immune system. Right? T cells are educated, they're selected to be our lymphocytes. They're taught to ignore our epitopes and only go after foreign epitopes. How that takes place, right? It's, we don't know that much. So, T cell school, pretty easy in 
the thymus. The consequences are life-threatening, right? You go to this school, yeah, you don't do so good on a test. Yeah, you fail a test. It's okay, there'll be another test. You go to T-cell school, you fail one test, you're dead, okay? So, anybody fail the test this time? You, you got another chance on Monday. Your lymphocytes don't have that chance. It's a two-step process. The first process, is called positive selection, right? Positive means, right, you want to save them. It's going to select T cells that recognize self-MHC, right? whose T cell receptor interacts weakly or binds antigen in a very particular way. Right? We want to save those guys. If you don't, if you respond inappropriately to self-MHC, like you're going to try to kill the cell that's, right, that's doing this presenting, that is educating you, you're dead. When you undergo positive selection, second step is negative selection. Now we want to get rid of them, right? We're going to eliminate thymocytes bearing a high affinity T cell receptor for self-MHC molecules alone, or self-antigens and self-MHC molecules, right? We're basically looking for the Goldilocks sort of recognition that's taking place here, right? Not too much. Not too little, it's got to be just right. Most of the cells are going to die during positive selection. The vast majority of these cells are slaughtered during positive selection. Because they're going to respond inappropriately to self-MHC molecules. So, we're not sure about the mechanism, but it appears, again, to be a random phenomena. That's why we need all those lymphocytes pouring out of the bone marrow because most of them are going to die during positive selection. So we need lots and lots and lots of recruits, right? It's the only school in town. It's the only place they can go, right? Even though they, you know, they hear that it's a bad rep in T-cell school, right? The courses are really hard, and if you fail a course in T-cell school, right? So they're pouring out of the bone marrow. Most of them are cut down during positive selection. When they make their way past positive selection, now they move towards negative selection. Whoops. So, right, what do we know about selection that's taken place here, right? We need to have an intermediate sort of affinity. If the affinity is too low, they're going to be failed to be positively selected. It's called death by neglect. So we get lots and lots of cells, right? So the vast majority of the cells are going to be destroyed. So positive selection, it's going to ensure that MHC restriction. It's going to make sure that it's not responding inappropriately. T cells are only able to respond to our own MHC molecules. It's going to permit survival only of those T cells who T cell receptors are capable of recognizing self-MHC molecules and leaving it alone and not responding. Right? If they fail, Death by neglect, so most of them are dying out here. Right. Right. The next step from positive selection is to go to negative selection. In negative selection, we're going to ensure self-tolerance. All the T cells that would respond to self are going to be eliminated. Right. It's eliminate T cells that react too strongly with self-MHC or to those self-MHC plus self-peptides. So we're looking for that very small 
amount, right? That's just right, right? Goldilocks was, you know, this bed is too, this bed is too soft. This bed is too hard. This bed is just right. This porridge is too hot. This porridge, right? Everybody knows Goldilocks. This porridge is just right. So we're zooming in on these guys right out here, right? So affinity is too high. Negative selection, they're going to be destroyed. Intermediate affinity, they're going to be selected. They're going to be the ones that are going to be able to survive. The ones that are not going to respond inappropriately to our MHC molecules. So thymocyte comes in from the bone marrow. Right? At one point in time, right? we have that immature thymocyte now. It's got a CD4, got a CD8. It's got a T-cell receptor because it needs that T-cell receptor. Once it undergoes right, productive rearrangement, it's going to come inside. If it meets this cell that is presenting an MHC molecule and an antigen, if it doesn't respond appropriately, right, deleted, that don't, aren't going to respond appropriately. If it responds appropriately, it's going to take the next step. The next step is going to be negative selection. If it responds inappropriately, it's going to be destroyed. And eventually, right, CD4, CD8 is going to be a single positive. It's going to be able to leave the thymus. So, what's the mechanism that's taking place in here? Well, the mechanism is called apoptosis. You've probably heard about apoptosis before, right? It's called cell suicide. It's also called programmed cell death. Apoptosis is derived from the Latin word means leaves falling off a tree. Right? When leaves fall off a tree, right, that tree doesn't die. Right? The leaves just sort of float away. The tree's alive. Come the spring, we're going to get new leaves, right? So. This is called cell suicide or programmed cell death. It's basically a nice way for the cell to die. It's a very regimented way. It was first discovered in T cells, inside the thymus. People knew nothing about apoptosis. Right? Nowadays, you read all sorts of things about apoptosis. Right? Lots of things during development in apoptosis, right? in utero, Due to our evolutionary sort of backgrounds, we all have, right, we all born with webbed hands. We have all sorts of skin that sort of sits in between, so it sort of looks like a fin inside in utero. All these cells are destroyed during apoptosis, right, inside. There are certain animals and C. elegans, right, the nematode. We know so much about the development of nematodes by studying them that we know Right? Every single cell, every single cell inside that nematode that's going to die by apoptosis, and we know the exact time it's going to die. Right? You take the sperm and egg together, or you stimulate the nematode to start to, right, to reproduce and turn into a new nematode. You start your stopwatch. After a minute and 25 seconds, this cell's going to divide. That cell divides. After you know, three days, 24 hours, all those cells right here, you know, cell number 627, 628, and 629, they're all dying by apoptosis. They all die by apoptosis. Right? Apoptosis is used a lot in development these days. It's very powerful. Right? So what's going on with apoptosis? What do we know about apoptosis? We talked a lot about necrosis. And this is what's going to cause the inflammatory response, right? The cell is destroyed. The cell undergoes some sort of, of insult. 
the cell basically breaks apart and cellular components are released out into the periphery and the immune system comes in and starts to clean up. Just imagine if cells inside the thymus were dying by necrosis. Right? Almost every single cell inside the thymus, if they're dying by necrosis, the, the thymus would be destroyed probably in the first round. Right? When the thymus opens its door at day 11, it would probably be destroyed by day 12. Because all those inflammatory signals, those macrophages would be flying towards the thymus, those neutrophils would be flying towards the thymus, and they would be releasing all their chemicals and all their sort of toxic things. Right? The thymus wouldn't be, right? just by collateral damage, the thymus would be being destroyed. But in apoptosis, ah, the cell is going to die, a very relaxed sort of death, right? It's going to start to condense. Nothing's going to happen to the DNA, right? We're going to get what's called blebbing. Right? Blebbing is an onomatopoeia. Right? An onomatopoeia is a word that, descri that describes by the way it sounds, like whoosh is an onomatopoeia. Right? So blebbing, right? So with blebbing, you sort of get these little sort of budding off of cytoplasm, and the cytoplasm is still surrounded by the cell membrane, right? So the lipid bilayer is still there. So it just falls apart into these nice little pieces. They sort of float away, and phagocytes can come in, and they'll, they'll, they will find, they will sense these apoptotic bodies, and they'll destroy them. They're not going to alert the rest of the world. They're sort of told, okay, it's okay if you see these. Just sort of get rid of them, but don't release chemicals. You know, don't get everybody else involved in the act. And that's exactly what apoptosis is. Cellular suicide. Program cell death. You throw the switch, and the cell just peacefully, nicely dies and goes away. It breaks off into these little pieces, right? So we're not going to have right, any sort of necrosis here. We're not going to break the cell apart. We're not going right, to have this take place. There's another sort of thing that is now being recognized in between necrosis and apoptosis. It's called autophagy, where, right, where the same thing can happen. We can have the cell basically destroy itself by this nice sort of regimented way. Right? But it started with apoptosis. We have all these different sort of mechanisms that are part of cell suicide. Right? So, apoptosis, absolutely, single cells all by themselves. Necrosis, whole bunch of cells can die by necrosis. Right? If that insult is there, it can wipe out lots and lots and lots of cells. In apoptosis, the, shell, the cell shrinks. We preserve the plasma membrane. Right there, The blebs are taking place, so it's blebbed out. I don't know where they got the word blebbed out. Right? So, right, we get phospho, right, phosphoserine on the surface. That's the receptor that macrophages are going to recognize as being an apoptotic body. That's how they're going to know it's okay to phagocytose this. Usually this phosphoserine is on the inside of the cell. Now it's going to be on the outside of the cell, right, in the mitochondria, right? The structure of the mitochondria are preserved, right? The organelles stay the same. The nuclei, they clump and fragmented, right? The DNA is fragmented. It's cut into very defined pieces, very small little pieces. Phagocytosis takes place, no inflammation. So the thymus sort of goes along with its business, even though the thymus is a death machine. 
there's no inflammatory response inside the thymus. If you look at necrosis, right, everything we've talked about, we got swelling, we got bursting, we got all sorts of stuff, right, coming out, right, the DNA just sort of springs right out, and then, right, it's round, it's round around the chromatin, it just sort of shoots off the chromatin, we get inflammation, and we get macrophage invasion, right, we get all these bad things that are taking place. In this sort of experiment, if we're looking at uh, apoptosis happening during sort of normal development, apoptosis just doesn't happen during development or during these sort of immature stages. It can happen at mature stages. So here, right, renal tubules inside the kidney, we can see the difference between, right, a necrotic sort of things taking place out here. We get lots and lots and lots of T cells invading, right, the arrows, right, are looking, we get apoptotic cells, right? You can see that they're not calling in, right? The difference between those taking place. If we look down over here with hepatocytes, right? Early necrosis change taking place. These are undergoing apoptosis. So we don't have all sorts of cells entering the kidney and being responding to any sort of the inflammatory response that are taking place. Right? So all this is taking place by apoptosis. Right? Getting back to education, education is going to weed out thymocytes whose T cell receptor do not recognize foreign antigen with self-MHC molecules, right? Because that doesn't take place. How are the thymocytes eliminated in the thymus? Right? It appears to be dependent on cell-cell contacts. There are certain cells that are residents of the thymus that are involved with this education. That's their job. So, positive selection involves interaction of thymocytes, right, with epithelial cells in the cortex. We'll talk about what the cortex is, is a sec in a second, right? Then the other part about that is that negative selection involves interaction of thymocytes with macrophages and other dendritic cells in the medulla. All right, so what's the cortex and what's the medulla? Oh, I could have done that one too. Yeah, that's okay. So when you take a cross-section of the thymus, you can see by staining different areas inside. So the cortex is this area along the edge of the thymus, and as it turns out, if you look at the spleen, and if you look at lymph nodes, right, you can also use this nomenclature for spleen and lymph nodes. So if you look at here in the cortex, right, you can see a whole bunch of T cells and you can see these sort of, right, epithelial cells that are out here, out here in the cortex, right? You can see all this interaction taking place. So that's where the first part of selection takes place. And then they're going to move out towards the medulla where they're going to come into contact with phagocytes and dendritic cells, and that's where the second part of, right, that's when uh, the negative selection is going to be able to take place. So again, in this cartoon, it's, it has to be able to show all of this interaction that's taking place, right? So you see a whole bunch of cells in here. Some of them can be engulfed by a certain cell we'll talk about, right? They're going to come into contact with all these cells. The cartoon is a little bit misleading in that if we're saying that most of these cells are dying, right, so these are the ghost cells right here, right? They're the ones who are going to, to thymocyte or lymphocyte heaven right now. But basically, 
almost this entire picture should be ghost cells, right? Because 99, 95% of these cells are being killed during the first part of positive selection, but to be able to sort of show what's taking place in here, right, most of the cells are being shown as cells undergoing positive selection. Right? So that's, again, that's part of the, right, the ability of the, of the cartoonist to be able to know what's going on. So what do we know about the cortex? Well, we know that these epithelial elements are there coming into contact with the T cells. And we know one of the major cells is called a thymic nurse cell. Right? They're nurse cells. Nurses have this positive, right? We take care of right? patients. So they're these thymic nurse cells and they present MHC class one and class two, right? But they don't stimulate the thymocytes. We're not going to be those co-receptin co-receptors taking place. So you can find up to 50 different thymocytes in contact at any one point in time. And so that's basically what we're showing here, right? T-cells on the surface, T-cells coming into intimate contact with these nurse cells, right? These nurse cells are presenting. Here's some nurse cells, the developing T-cells are engulfed. So they're actually inside this nurse cell, right? So here the thymocytes, or yeah, I guess they're still thymocytes. The thymocytes are blue, and the nurse cells themselves are this green sort of mass in this, uh, in this fluorescent picture. So you can see them coming into contact. So as they come into contact, as they're there and they're being treated by these nurse cells, right? These are the ones who are undergoing positive selection. The ones who are able to be given clearance by the nurse cells, right? Because they're not going to respond or else the nurse cells would be killing them. They're going to make their way to the medulla. There are thymic macrophages and dendritic cells. They're again going to present class 1, class 2. Thymocytes are going to adhere, right? They're going to present class 1 and class 2. Thymocytes are going to adhere. And if those thymocytes respond inappropriately, then those cells are going to be destroyed. Right? So, right, the nurse cells over here, the dendritic cells over here, thymocytes come in, they rearrange, everything is fine, right? We got our rearranged T cell receptor, we're now a CD4 cell, a CD8, we're really not sure about the switch from double positive to CBD4 or CD8. They leave the bone, they leave the thymus, they leave the thymus, and they're your thymocytes. All right, we'll finish up T cell stuff on Friday. There's a test on Monday. Right, same format. You know what the test is? It's on the web page. An old test two is on the web page. See you Friday. <laughs>